Good morning. Good morning to everybody online. So glad to see you. And with our new wonderful sound system, I suppose if you can't hear, wave at me. <laughs> okay. You can't hear me? Move up. <laughs> the verses this morning, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it. And then his, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. Before I start that, I have to admit to you, do not let um, the way I look influence anything because I am a klutz. I will admit it up front, I do the dumbest things without trying. You know, I have, my, my lips are always chapped, and I take chapstick and I smear it on, and it has cocoa butter in it, so I kind of go up in there and take care of some of the wrinkles while I'm at it. Well, I'm at Costco, and I am walking to the pharmacy. I grabbed my chapstick, and I did my smearing, and I got over there, and you know those people were really nice. They let me go to the head of the line. I got my prescription. I walked back to my girlfriend, and she said, what is with your face? Yeah, not chapstick. Long-wearing red lipstick. Those people were not being nice. They were terrified. They figured for sure Chucky the Clown had come to life. Among other dumb things I have done in my life is I have many times tried to fix my own problems. I didn't become a Christian until I was in my early 20s, and I tell you, every problem I tried to fix, and even now, if I try to fix it on my own, usually comes out in a big mess. Um, at a long time ago, of course, before I became a Christian or right after, I didn't realize God loved me, and I didn't realize how much God loved me. That made a big difference. You know, I, I love all of you that know me, and I love Bible history, so you're going to get a little bit of... Bible history before I get to the actual you are treasured part, so hang in there with me if you would. I wanted to look at this little section of scripture because it has such a huge meaning. It is literally a one sentence parable, but it's huge. It says you are treasured by God. You are treasured by God. The God who made everything treasures me, treasures you. How amazing is that? I once heard a little girl, she was like three years old, and she got up early in the morning and she looked out the window. It had rained the night before, cleared the air up. It was beautiful. And the little girl said, wow, God washed everything. And then a minute later, she furrowed her little brow and she said, but why didn't he dry it? And we're a lot like that. You know, we look at God's incredible creation that we are blessed to live in. But not only that, um, he takes such good care of it, you know, and we have to wonder, but what about us? You know, we're a mess sometimes. Why doesn't he take better care of us? You know, if you look at the magnificence of the animals, I'm totally amazed when I read about animals. And if you've ever read about the emperor penguins, you know, they're the big penguins who don't fly, by the way, they swim. But these amazing animals will be out to sea and they will just gorge themselves. And then they come in, of course, kind of like us after COVID, you know, when we couldn't get off the couch. But then they will walk 90 miles in to the mating ground, find a mate, 
I have no idea how because they all look alike, but they will find a mate and they will have an egg, the, the female will lay an egg. And about the time she lays the egg, now this is really tricky because they lay the egg on the ice. There's nothing soft. There's no soft memory foam. There's no hay. It's they lay the egg on the ice, but then they got to get it off the ice real quick because it will freeze to a fudgicle or maybe an exicle. Exicle, yeah. So she gets it on her feet and she has this big, huge uh, feathers and blubber and there's a flap down at the bottom and she puts the, the egg on her big feet and stays there like that. Then the time comes that she needs to go eat, so she has to carefully pass the egg to the male without, I mean, even just a minute on the ice, that egg will freeze. So she then hikes 90 miles back and eats for two months. Then she comes back just in time because, you see, the male could not eat at this time. The male is standing there with the egg. He can't go anywhere. So she gets back just about the time he's about ready to drop over dead. If she had stopped to talk to a friend, they'd all be in trouble. But she gets back, and they pass the egg, and then he goes and eats. And he comes back and, you know, two months later manages to find her. God takes care of them. I mean, that is so amazing to me that they're, they're amazing. I mean, God dries them, let's say. <laughs> he doesn't leave them hanging out there wet. And there's also a little screech owl on the East Coast. I don't know if you've heard of this. These screech owls are very prolific, except there's something that will get in their cage and kill them. And it's bugs and um, um, maggots. Yeah. Anyway, they will kill them. And so, you know what this great little bird does? This bird is a wise owl, but it can't be that wise. It has to be God-given. They pick up a little blind snake. Now, mind you, whether it's really blind or it's just called that, I don't know. But they stick it in. She takes that little blind snake and puts it in her nest. And guess what the blind snake eats? Maggots and bugs. God is amazing. Is absolutely amazing. And I'll just tell you about one more, which is a mallee fowl in Australia. She digs a hole in the dirt to um, lay her eggs. And then she covers the dirt and she puts dead leaves, so the rotting, decaying leaves, keep the eggs warm. And she sticks her beak in there several times a day. She can tell within a tenth of a degree. If it's too hot, she moves sand off. If it's too cold, she piles it back on. How amazing is that? And I don't know about you, I'm not a spider person. I hate spiders. <laughs> but have you ever noticed, you know, they catch everything on their web? Why don't they stick to their web? Because God put little oil glands on the ends of their little nasty feet so they don't, they don't stick to web. God takes care of nature. God ingrained it. It's the unbelievable things. But then we have to ask the question, Lord, why don't you take better care of us? You take care of all these creatures and these beautiful plants and trees, and why don't you take care of us? Why don't you take better care? How come I'm facing what I'm facing? How come I'm sick? How come my loved one is sick? How come my spouse walked out? How come all these things? Lord, why don't you take better care of me? Well, I'm going to give you the answer. you got to go to Genesis. And in the beginning, God made everything, and he said it was wonderful. It was really good. And then he made man, and he breathed into man. He breathed his own life into man. He didn't have, man didn't have a sin nature at that point. But he breathed his life into man. But you see, then they got tempted, of course, by Satan. We all know that story, that 
you know, Eve and Adam, and then Adam says to God, but you gave me the woman, she did it. And Eve says, well, wait a minute, the snake did it. But at any rate, at that point, what Adam did is he took the, de the deed, the property deed to earth, and he turned it over to Satan. You see, the Bible tells us who you submit to is who you become the servant of. So Adam became the servant of Satan. He handed the title deed of planet over. The ownership of this world changed from God to man and man to Satan. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, We know that we are the, excuse me, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ. And John 12, 31, 14, 30, 16, 11, all three verses, Jesus calls Satan the prince of this earth. And you know, in Matthew 4, you will remember Satan when he was tempting Jesus. He took him up to a high point and he said, I will give you this whole world if you will bow down to me. Now, Jesus did not say you don't have the authority to do that, did he? He said he wouldn't do it, but he didn't say you don't have the authority. Peter, 1 Peter 5.8, we all know the devil roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when Jesus calmed the storm, basically what he said is be muzzled, which is the same thing he said to the demons, be muzzled. So the title deed went from, from God to man and man to Satan. You wonder why there's all, there's death, there's tornadoes, there's hurricanes, there's evil, there's earthquakes, there's fires. God is not the one doing it. The insurance companies have it wrong. But take heart. Boy, that's really uplifting, isn't it? <laughs> but I'm not sending you home like this. So God said, um, take heart because in John, Revelation 5, John is taken on a trip to heaven. And up in heaven, he sees and he tries to describe what he's seeing as best he can. And the one particular event I want to read for you is Revelation 5, 1 through 5. He said, Then I saw the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne and a scroll written on the front and the back and sealed with seven seals. I saw a powerful angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? But no one in heaven on earth, under earth, or in heaven, for that matter, was, excuse me. So I began, oh, I'm going to get this right yet, excuse me. We're, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals, but no one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth was able to break it. They were not worthy. Then it says, so I began weeping bitterly because no one found one who was worthy to open the scroll and look into it. And one of the elders said, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Thus, he is the one that can open the scroll and the seven seals. You see, scrolls in that day, they didn't have the, you know, paper like we do, so they made papyrus. And it was written horizontally and wrapped around, you know, like a, a piece of wood. Um, shorter epistles, possibly like Jude or Philemon, might have been on just a single piece. But when you get to Revelation, they say it was probably 15 feet long. And due to the coarse back on papyrus, I don't know if any of you have ever made paper. You know, you can get it smooth on one side and the back side's real coarse. 
they would write in three-inch columns on the, the smooth side. Um, however, here we see a scroll written on both sides, and it is sealed with seven seals. And you can find examples of this in the Old Testament. There is a certain kind of document written on both sides and sealed with seven seals, and it is a title to a piece of property. Initially, the deed would only be written on the smooth side with one seal. But if the owner became incapable of paying his debts, his obligations would be written on the outside, and it would be sealed with seven seals. And if any time in the next seven years he was able to pay it off, then the scroll is opened, it is returned to him. And that transaction was so important, it was done in the temple. Well, in heaven, our ultimate temple, we will see a scroll, the title deed to earth, the one that Adam gave to Satan. And in Revelation 5, 1, 2, who can meet the qualifications, who is worthy to take back the title deed to earth? And you know, many have been willing to take over earth, haven't they? We have Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, Hitler, Mussolini, Napoleon. They were willing, but they were not worthy. The angel says, the one that is worthy, who can meet the stipulations, no man in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. And John wept, I would have too, if we'd have thought this world had to stay like this forever, we'd all be weeping. No one was found. But then, hang in there, because John, John says, wait. The, the lion of the tribe of Juba, Judah, he can open the scrolls. And then the rest of uh, Revelation 5 is praise for Jesus coming forward to do just that. Now, with that background, we're going to go to Matthew 13, 44, to the verse. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. In Jesus' time, no banks anywhere. Someone was rich, someone had wealth, they buried it in their property. And evidently, this man stumbles across this piece of property that people had abandoned, and he finds this treasure. What is the field? The previous parable will tell you that, that the field is the world. Sometimes this parable is taught that it is us finding Jesus, but it's truly the other way around because none of us left everything and paid everything to follow Jesus. Jesus did that for us. So actually, it, the man is Jesus. We are the treasure. And I think it's interesting that Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, So it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became life-giving spirit. He refers to Jesus as the last Adam. So the first Adam sold us out. The last Adam bought us back. The first Adam ate from the forbidden tree, turning us over to Satan, and the last Adam hung on a tree, redeeming us from Satan. Through the first Adam, the ground was cursed. For our sake, the last Adam became a curse. Sin, through the first Adam, produced thorns. God, through the last Adam, buried those thorns in his own brow. He gave everything because he considered us worth it. We are his treasure. He bought that world that was cursed. Jesus gave everything. He took it all. He paid the price. And then he went to the Father in heaven and said, I can open that scroll. I can take back the earth. 
You see, the price written on the outside of that scroll is not money. The price on the outside of that scroll is our, it's our debts, and Jesus paid it with his blood. It wasn't millions or billions of dollars. It was his death, and it was his blood that saved us. He died for this world, so he was worthy to take the scroll and open it. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? I mean, he could speak another world in the in the a blink of an eye. He spoke this one into being. Why couldn't he speak another one into being? But he bought it because of you. He looked down and he said, you're my treasure. And I will go through anything to save you. You're the treasure. And believe me, most of the time, I don't feel like a treasure. I don't know about you. You know, I'm not skinny enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm darn sure not smart enough, enough to put you into depression. Well, I went to a bookstore one time to the self-help section looking for help for depression, and this is what I found. <laughs> depression for dummies. This is the kind of help that the world offers. Kidding aside, you know, when the enemy whispers in your ear, you are not worth it. You just remember, uh-uh, you're the treasure that Jesus gave everything for. And you know, theologically, I understand it. But I'm not much of a treasure. I always blow it. I don't do the right thing. I don't always say the right thing. I am nothing but an irritating speck of sand. And if you look at the next parable, the next two verses after it, Matthew 13, 45 and 46, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking goodly pearls, who, when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Just like the man who bought the land for that treasure, this man bought the, the pearl. Who sold, who sold everything? Who gave everything up? Jesus. And what is a pearl? You know what a pearl is? It's an irritating little grain of dirt that gets into an oyster. The oyster starts coating it with a substance, perhaps to keep it from being so irritating. And by the way, it takes about seven years to really make beautiful pearls. We are the pearl of great price. And I think, not me, I'm irritating. True, but God covered me with his righteousness just like he does you. He surrounds us with his goodness. And the more invading the piece of sand, the bigger the pearl, the better you are. Jesus takes pride in what he made us into. You know, when he looks at that irritating piece of sand, he goes, I know what you're going to become. I know what you are, and you're that valuable to me. You mean that irritating person who sits across from me on Thanksgiving at the table? They're a pearl? Oh, come on, we all have them, <laughs> every one of us. We all have irritating people in the family, out of the family, people who are stuck around, yeah, we know. But they are a pearl too, I hate to tell you. But you know what I decided? It's really hard sometimes because I had a very irritating person in my family for more than 40 years. And I used to try to go to the, the store and buy a card for that person. They need a special section for irritating people cards. I mean, because you get one that says, you are so wonderful. Uh, no, okay. Uh, you have been a great influence in my, no. It's like, what do you do? They need ones that go that maybe something like, when I think of you, all I hear is your voice. <laughs> or, you know, 
your thoughts, thoughts of you are always with me. Okay, we need a section like that, right? <laughs> but yes, even those people are God's treasure. Even those people. He gave it all for you to take you out of this world and invest you in eternity. When did he do that? Did he do that when we were here on Sunday morning and we had come to know him? No. You know what? He died for us while we were still rotten specks of sand, while we were still sinners. He didn't wait till we cleaned ourselves up. He came and took us and loved us no matter what. He looks at us as irritating. He, he looks at us when we were irritating, and he sees what we will become, a beautiful pearl. Now, if he loves us that much, if we are his treasure, you know, then we must believe that he's going to take care of us. The truth is, this world is not fair. You know, people say life's not fair. No, it's not, because now you know who's in control of it. It's not fair. Jesus in 16.33, John 16.33 said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have come to over, I have overcome the world. Faith is like a muscle, you must use it. And the more you use it, the stronger it gets. When things go wrong and you have prayed about it and people have prayed about it and God is taking care of the situation, store that away because that's working that muscle. Then the next time things happen, you can realize that God is there. He is faithful. He was faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. Does that mean it's always answered the way we want? No. As a matter of fact, probably most of the time it's not. But God sees the whole picture, and we're looking at one tiny little snapshot. This life will never be easy, but imagine how hard it would be if you didn't have God. I know personally I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. And I'm sorry if you wonder, why is she talking about Satan? Do you know that I was a Christian for a couple of years before the light went on, and I realized if there's a God, there has to be a Satan. You can't take part of the Bible and throw it away. And his biggest ploy is that most people don't believe in him. They think he just comes out in Halloween with a cute little red suit with horns and a, you know, a pitchfork and a tail. No, believe me, he's real and he's very dangerous. Now, those of us that have accepted Christ, we have some armor to put on to be protected. Just because you've accepted the Lord doesn't mean he won't attack, because he will. Because he wants to do everything he can to keep you from telling others about Jesus. And if that means bringing tragedy into your life, then that's what it is. But you see, when we meet tragedy, showing people, Lord, I believe in you, I trust in you, and no matter how this comes out, I know you're in control. That's when people look and go, wow, what's different about them? Because that's what makes us different. When we are going through really hard times, when you still love Jesus and you still can tell people about Jesus, and they look at you and go, where, what, what's, what's she got? That's the opportunity to tell them. So if we are his treasure, we are his pearl of great price. He gave everything for us. Then we have to believe he's going to take care of us. And a benediction, precious people, when life feels out of control, when hearts are broken and the world crashes in, remember Jesus 
has not abandoned you. He's in the fire with you, holding you. May you give your hurt to him. May you rest in him and never forget you are his treasure. Thank you. Go out and have a wonderful week. Thank you.